You know, if I had one word to describe the state of the entertainment industry today, I think I'd go with franchise. More and more, it feels like the content producing heavyweights of the entertainment world, they rely on your prior knowledge of a story, of a character, of a series to get your attention and of course, to try to grab your time and your money. And today, we're gonna to talk about a couple of franchises and the latest entries in them that are indeed vying for our attention this summer. Hey everyone, Adam Holtz here, your host of The Plugged In Show, focused on the family's weekly conversation about entertainment, pop culture, and technology. Thanks so much for joining us today. Well, if we're gonna talk about franchises, there's plenty to choose from. Mm. But the ones we're gonna talk about today involve a movie and a video game. Specifically, we're gonna unpack, and I do mean unpack. There is a lot to get out of the suitcase here. The latest animated Spider-Man movie. It is called Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse. Bob Hoos and I saw it uh, last night, actually, and we are going to explore its many, many themes in our first segment. If it sounds like that's going to be a long segment, well, it it might be. There's a lot to talk about in there, Bob. We'll keep it brisk. <laughs> and in our second segment, we're going to look at the Zelda video game franchise. We have reviewed the latest game in that franchise, The Legend of Zelda Tears of the Kingdom, and I have to confess my son has been playing his way through it. So much of what I'm going to contribute to the conversation is going to be secondhand through the expertise of my 16-year-old. Um, but it certainly has sensitized me to the way these games can take up a lot of time and garner a lot of attention. And so we're going to talk not only about the game, but in a broader sense, how do we help our kids navigate these massive sprawling games and, and what do we need to be thinking about. But before we dive into our conversation in earnest today, just a few housekeeping details. If you haven't done so already, please subscribe to The Plugged In Show wherever you get your podcasts and be sure to leave us a review too. Those reviews really help people know what to expect when they stream The Plugged In Show. So please do that for us and we would very much appreciate it. Thank you. Well, as you might have guessed, joining me for our first segment today is Bob Hoos. And when we get to our Zelda conversation in a few minutes, Emily Chow and Kennedy Unthank will be chiming in too. Bob. Yeah. This is a movie, man. Oh, yeah. I, You know, you see so many movies, right? In yep. a world full of movies, this was world. one of them. In a world, right? <laughs> uh, you and I both saw it last night. And other than just some very cursory 30,000-foot conversations... We haven't talked in depth about this movie. That's right. Uh, and frankly, there is a lot <laughs> to talk about yeah, here. I, I, I sort of was eager to find out what your thoughts were on likewise. the movie. You know? And in fact, I'm, sometimes when we do this, I fear that we're going to be a totally opposite. Well, and I, but I think that's okay because I think it shows that even though I try to think through ahead of time where we're going in our conversations, yeah. This one really is kind of live without a net, you know? Mm -hmm. We don't know exactly how we're going to respond to this movie, but I think it makes for a, a great conversation and, and one that uh, we haven't already done. So yeah, we don't yeah. know exactly what's going to happen. Well, I want to set the stage for this franchise. When we saw the first film in this series, Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse, back in 2018, we really liked it. And yeah. though Peter Parker does show up, the main Spider-Man in this story is a 15-year-old boy 
with a Puerto Rican mom and a black dad. And it sort of lends a, you know, a definitely a sense of, of his ethnic background. Sure. It gives the story a different flavor. And his name is Miles Morales. Right. Miles hails from a different version of our world. And it's known in the Marvel universe as Earth 65. Now, if you're a comic book head like I am, you know that at some point, Marvel ran out of things to do in our normal Marvel universe, which is Earth 616. And they started inventing other Marvel universes. So there's functionally an infinite number of these yeah. things. Some yeah. of them are, you know, Earth 20,000 and something. In fact, there are uh, so many Spider-Man variations. Yes. I mean, there's like over 40 different Spider-Man versions that were in the comic books themselves. Right, yeah. right. And here we get even more than that, no. which is, I think, an interesting part of this story. No. Um, like Peter, and actually this is true of, of all of the Spider-Man in these different, they're essentially alternate universes right. where you're getting some broadly similar things going on, um, but there's sort of different wrinkles, different iterations. Some silly wrinkles. Um, and too, some of them, yeah. like if you've ever wondered, what would Spider-Man be like as a pig? Well, Spider-Ham is that character. Or a right? T-Rex. Or a T-Rex. Or a cat. <laughs> yeah, that's I right. quite like the Spider-Cat, which is, you know, okay. Anyway. Um, but the Spider-Verse is built on this idea that Earth, in all these different dimensions, there are, you know, infinite permutations of the Spider-Man character. Right, right. And just like Spider-Man has, you know, traditionally faced all kinds of bad guys in our world, our Earth, the same is true in all these other ones. And the story is sort of predicated on... Sometimes they have to, you know, cross the Spider-Verse and help each other out. Uh, is that a, a fair... I mean, it's complicated. I'm re yeah. Even that is a yeah. summary. But that's definitely what's set up in the first movie. And, and the yep. fact is to even talk about this one, about yeah. this second movie, you have to... I would recommend that if you're going to go see it, yeah, go see you the first pretty one much first. need to know the first one. Yep. Um, and, and the first movie really does set up that whole idea, like you were saying, that the spider people because right. it's not just men right spider and it's people, not just people and creatures from from these different universes come in to help miles as as he's learning how to become a uh, spider-man in fact the first movie is sort of like the uh the origin story yeah. of miles morales as as a spider-man and he's fighting against the kingpin okay the, who's the big bad guy and is working on these super collider ideas and, yeah and he's doing this thing because he wants to gain great power and but of course it, it's it's all ending up turning into disaster and it takes spider characters <laughs> from other <laughs> dimensions to come in and give miles a little bit of assist in solving the whole thing well and i think that we can say one of those is a character named spider gwen yes and spider gwen is of course gwen stacy who right. was one of Peter Parker's first girlfriends, who of course dies early on in the Spider-Man story. Spoiler warning: that was in like 1973, <laughs> I think. Um, but in this one, Spider Gwen and Miles Morales as Spider-Man, they yeah. kind of had a connection in the last movie, and that's one of the subplots here: is that you know they're both kind of loners for different reasons, right? Uh, and they're both grappling with the spidery thing. But tell us a little bit more about the story. Okay. Even though, it, as you and I briefly said, talking before, it's a hard one to summarize quickly. But what's the what are okay. the bare bones of the story here? Well, uh, first of all, you've got 
Miles, who is a little bit older in this one, it, t- it takes place a couple of years after the first movie. Yep. He's a little bit older and he's a little bit more confident in his Spider-Man abilities, yeah. but he's still struggling at home because his parents don't know who he is. Right. And so he kind of comes off like an angsty teen around his right. mom and, and he's dad. 15 in this yeah, movie. Exactly. And, uh, and so he's still wrestling with that. And then he's visited by Gwen, like you mentioned, because she was important in the first movie and she comes back and visits him because there's something else going on. And when he meets her again, he realizes, man, he's crushing on this girl. And um, and she's crushing on him, yeah, too. Yeah, There's a lot of crushing. Right. You and me, it's... We're the same. In the important ways, you know? In every other universe, Gwen Stacy falls for Spider-Man. And in every other universe, it doesn't end well. Well, it's the first time for everything, right? (laughs) But then he's also wrestling with this new sort of interdimensional supervillain that actually was sort of created by the end of the first movie. Because yep. that super collider thing I was talking about with, with Kingpin, it blows up and that creates this new interdimensional guy. And he's called the Spot. The Spot, right. And not only that, but there's also the, the element of Gwen accidentally introducing uh, Miles to this spider society. Right. Which is this collection of multiverse spider people and creatures by the thousands, it seems. I mean, right? It's, it feels like it's almost an infinite yeah. number, but we meet six or seven. Yeah, and, sort and, of key and ones. see like hundreds of yes. them in the course of the film. And Miles has he sort of wants to join up with them to fight off this supervillain, but then he's ultimately finds himself at odds with them. So let me just lay that all out. So he's dealing with mom and dad at home. Yep. He's dealing with his crush on Gwen. He's dealing with this supervillain and he's dealing with negative things coming at him, flying at him literally from from this spider society. (laughs) And so he's got to deal with all of that in the course of this film. Okay. I think it's also not a spoiler to say this is the second of three films in a trilogy. Yes. And it does end on a cliffhanger. Uh, yeah, people should know. Know it, that it, it, you're, if you're looking at your watch five minutes before it's supposed to be over and wondering, how are they going to wrap all this up? Yeah, yeah. They're they not. They don't. <laughs> yeah, this is this is that middle stage movie in a trilogy that leaves you with a cliffhanger and you, you've got a lot of backstory that you learn as you go along, but you won't really know how it all resolves until the third movie. Yeah. So if you're thinking you're going to go in and have this complete bookend thing, you're not. You're not. Nope. So... In terms of looking at this from a plugged-in perspective, I think what I want to do, Bob, is let's talk about the content stuff, and then let's talk about some of the bigger picture, philosophical, and even even spiritual ideas here, because I felt like there were some, and hopefully you felt the same way. Sure, sure. Uh, You know, I think think one of the first things we need to talk about in that context is not necessarily something negative in the content but something that some people will see as a positive, but that I think we ought to mention right up front because we're, we're talking about a film that a lot of families will probably want to go see. Yeah. And there are some reasons that they ought to at least think twice before doing so. Okay, what are those? Here's, here's my opinion. 
there were some great elements in the first film. Mm-hmm. Uh, you mentioned that uh, there are other spider characters that come in to help Miles, and I mentioned it too. The thing is that in that first film, they're so well-developed yeah. that you really care about each one of them, and they pull you into the story. The other element that was there is this sort of freewheeling story that is just really fun. And then the third element is the the animation style itself. Oh, yeah. There's something about that first movie and the way they tapped into the aesthetics of a comic book itself. Yeah. You know, it was just this dynamic, vibrant, colorful animation that just set you back on your heels. All of that to say there were great elements in the first film. And what they've done with this second film is they've said, oh, everybody liked what we did there. More. Let's give them a lot more. It's it's like listening to a great song. Yeah. You have your, your speakers set up and you, it's perfect and the balance is just right. And you say, man, I just love this. And then you crank it up to a hundred. And, <laughs> and that's what this film is like because yeah. there's so much coming at you. There is, the, the animation is so huge and pounding. The action just never stops. No, it's and, and this story, the story elements, there is so much coming at you. It's like, how do I keep up? How does my brain no. keep up with all of this stuff that's going bam, 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 yep. and all these different details? Now, from a Spider-Man fan's perspective, yeah, I think they're going to go, "Woo, this is great!" Yeah, and even people that are just fans of the first film may think that way. But I'm thinking, from the average kid's perspective. Yeah, that can be a problem. I think if I'm a dad and I'm bringing my son because he likes comic books, right? And we all sit back and we don't know a lot about Spider-Man and all the alternate realities and alternate uh, uh, universes. I'm going to be going. What is so going on? So it's not very on? accessible from a story no. standpoint. If you don't know the first movie at all, you're going to be completely lost well, at least and, for the first and, half. And I here. do know the first movie, and I'm kind of a comic book guy. Yeah. And I felt like at the end of this one, I got to see it again just to even understand everything that's happening, yeah. to catch all the Easter eggs. And there's so much fan service. Oh, I mean, it's just through. drenched and, with, and so, you know, you that's know gonna, it's a that's super gonna, geek kind of movie. Exactly. And that's going to have all the super geeks coming back over and over and right. over and over to catch them all. In a way, that's good for the film because they're going to make a lot of money with that. But for the families, it might not be quite so good because I, I felt like... I had to go two-thirds of the way through before I started piecing everything together, and I thought, oh, okay, that's where everything fits. And yeah. I know the Spider-Man franchise pretty well. Yeah. So I think that's something we ought to note right at the top here. Yeah. Um, and we work with some agencies that screen these movies for us, and they always like to ask us, uh, what did you think of the film when we come out? Yeah. And one of the agents was with her little daughter, and she was in a Gwen Stacy outfit. It yeah, was just perfect. Spider it, was, it was just great. And I said, great outfit. But I, I was talking about my concerns about all this like sensory overload. And she said, yeah. oh, yeah, my daughter fell asleep. Yeah. She fell asleep and slept through most of the film <laughs> just because it was so much she didn't know what was, was going just on. Overwhelming. It was just overwhelming. Yeah. One of the things that I thought was that it felt several notches closer to like a 70s and 80s comic book yeah. style. Yeah. And and it really it felt like you're reading a comic book, but also in terms of the level of grit, it is gritty here, and I want to circle back to that. Well, what did you think was the, were, the, were the gritty parts? Well, I mean, you have the threat of death or stories of death of a right. number of main characters. And we know 
that Peter Parker, of course, you know, his Spider-Man origin story is closely interwoven with the death of Uncle Ben. Right. Uh, and I think it's safe to say that in every one of these spider you know, hero's origin story. That's part of the canon. There's somebody who dies. Yeah, and yeah. so we do get some discussion of that. So it's it's not like it's a cartoon, but it felt kinder and gentler than any of the MCU or DC movies. And that there's sure. the violence is there, but it's comic booky. It's not as visceral. My biggest disappointment, I guess you would say, is there is some mild profanity. Uh, and there's some flirtation with profanity, you know, yeah. stuff like lots of shoot and gosh. And, and you might think, man, Other what kind of Puritan are you that you're concerned about those things? But I think <laughs> I'm like, oh, this is a movie you could take a pretty young child to. And then there were just, you know, maybe a half a dozen of those yeah. milder profanities. I'm like, oh, well, that bumps it up a little bit but age wise. It, it is still much lighter than the MCU. Much lighter much than the MCU. Lighter. So those are some concerns from right. a plugged in standpoint. Right. I thought this was better than anything I have seen in the MCU and I'm not sure how long. I yeah. might have to go back to Endgame to find something that emotionally hit me. And in some ways I would say I might like this one better than any of the MCU movies. Well, I agree with you. Um, I, I believe that the MCU in many ways has lost its way. Yep. And they're heading in paths that aren't necessary instead of just focusing on good family fare. Yep. Other than the overload of sensory input on this film, yeah. there were there were and some... And a bit of profanity. Yeah, there were some really wonderful moments. Oh, yeah. Not only uh, just magnificent visuals and i mean the art style on this film is so impressive yeah that even if you're not art focused yeah. you can't help but sit back and think my goodness what did what did it take for them to create this because it really is visually vibrant and dynamic well and, and, and each character has yeah. some particularities and some of them even have visual motifs from their world exactly. that I'm not going to spoil it. Cause I think yeah. if you're a fan, part of the fun here is, Oh, I can't believe they put that one in. Exactly. You know? Exactly. Um, I, but I think it's more than just a great sort of good versus evil story. Right. Um, I think that there really is an undercurrent of how do we deal with death and suffering? Yes. And that, you know, the sort of tension between as heroes, we want to, we want to stop that and we have a special ability to prevent calamity. And yet there's a sort of a, a fate element here that things have to be a certain well, way. Some people accept it. That and some angry. people accept it. And, and yeah. so you almost get, even though they don't use these words, I felt like there was a sort of free will versus predestination thing going on here. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Did you feel that way? I did. I did. especially from miles, uh, yeah. you know, he's, He's the central hero here, and he's the central hero who says, you know what, everybody's sort of accepting things the way and telling me my story needs to go this way, yeah. but I'm not going to do that. I'm going to do what I think is the right choice, right. is to make the heroic choice. I'm going to save who I can save. Right. And some people were saying, no, no, you know, you have to just let the the canon event take place, and if that means someone dies, then someone dies. And he said, no. No, there has to be a choice. Yeah. And and I think that's a big theme here. Yeah. That there are outcomes and 
things that happen because of the choices you make, yeah. at positive and negative. Well, and it, and it even deals, I think, with some pretty subtle stuff morally. Yeah. Because it's not that those other heroes are trying to take the prospect of someone's death lightly, but they're sort of weighing this question of, you know, do we rescue one person if that means many others die? You know, right. sort of weighing right. this moral complexity. And, and, you know, we've seen that in other Spider-Man movies, right? You know, with Spider-Man, do I save my girlfriend or do I save the group of people on the bus dangling off the bridge? Right. Can I do both? And there's this tension between, you know, the bad guys are always like, no, you got to pick one or the other. And, you know, the joy of Spider-Man is he figures out, I'm going to try to do both, although we don't get that resolution here. And it it leads into real world questions because i think we in our world especially these days there seem to be so many conflicts swirling around us and we feel so powerless sometimes we feel like all i can do is just sit back and just watch it happen yeah and this film says you know no you can make choices and those choices can make a difference yeah the other thing i loved about this movie is such a a potent illustration of the power of family yes and moms and dads yeah both and man we see so many stories where family is denigrated or dads are denigrated usually moms aren't denigrated moms are often the hero and we actually have a heroic mom here yeah but i love that you know and we see just the importance of how family is shaping young miles even as he tries to keep the secret and and even the tension of do I keep the secret? Do I put my family at risk if I tell them what's going on? Right. Um, like there's moral ambiguity all over the place as, as multiple characters are trying to figure out what does it right. mean to do the right it's, thing It's here? not just Miles. It's Gwen too. Yep. And, and, and some of the other characters. And we see their relationship with their parents and there may be conflict yeah. as there is in real life. And it says, you know, those kinds of conflicts happen. But the film also says, but you can reach out. And you can make a difference and you can hug your loved one and tell them what you feel. Yeah. And it it was very powerful. Yeah, I thought so too. I, um, it was my favorite movie in a long time. Uh, and I, I actually will probably see it again and I will say, I'm not going to go into detail, but my son and I had a conversation about this movie, um, and talking about really deep stuff, yeah, life and death stuff. We talked for an hour nonstop. And how often does that happen at one at a movie or two at a cartoon? Right. Not, not very often. Rarely. Yeah. Old Pixar, maybe. Yeah, right. <laughs> All right. Well, thanks, Bob. Sure. We had a lot of good stuff to say about Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse, but since we recorded that segment, it's come to our attention that there was some content that is so subtle, we didn't actually see it. If you look very, very, very closely and very quickly in the background of one scene in Gwen Stacy's bedroom, you'll see a trans poster that says protect trans kids. And her dad is also wearing a pin on his police uniform that talks about protecting trans kids. So those elements are in there and they're so fast that unless you were looking really closely for them, you probably won't see them. But we wanted to make you aware that since the movie has come out, there's a big conversation about the symbolism and the colors 
and the extent to which Gwen Stacy might somehow be a symbol or a metaphor for the trans movement. So I think that that is worth knowing about, even though it's so subtle that, again, if you didn't know it was there, you're probably not going to notice it. But we wanted to make you aware of those important thematic elements here. Well, in our second segment today, it's time to talk Zelda. Bob Hoos is just one of our resident video game gurus, and he reviewed the latest game in this franchise, The Legend of Zelda Tears of the Kingdom. But we actually have a couple more people on our team who are gamers and familiar with this franchise as well, Emily Chow and Kennedy Unthank. Thanks for joining us today. Thanks for having us. So uh, we're mixing it up a little bit today. I thought uh, it would be fun since we're talking video games to just start with a personal question. So here it is. What is your favorite video game character of all time and why? <laughs> I've got a quick answer for this. Okay. okay. Go for it. Um, it's a guy named Garrus from <gasps> Mass Effect. You just stole mine, Garrus Vicarian. Oh, I'm so sorry. He's my favorite. Isn't that yeah, continue. interesting that the two of you both had that one? Yeah. Of all um, the games out there. That, that should tell you how games. incredible yeah, Garrus actually is. He's a great character. Yeah, because you guys are incredible people and that you both picked him. So in Mass Effect, uh, essentially you are the commander of a platoon of galaxy explorers. Sometimes you're in an army, sometimes you're kind of renegade. Uh, it depends really on your own personal choices. But one of the characters who makes a lot of appearances is Garrus who is this guy from another uh, alien race who essentially, depending on your uh, choices, can become essentially your right-hand man. And he can follow you throughout all three of the, the main games. And by the end of the game, you've formed this really tight bond with him. Unless okay. you kill him off. So Unless no. you kill him off. <laughs> <laughs> and Emily, I'll just toss it over to you. What uh, how, what would you add to uh, Kennedy and why, why is he your favorite? I mean, honestly, like... There's, I can't describe it. There's just like something about Garrus. Like he's just a very cool character um, within that series. And you know, it's it's like Kennedy said though. It does kind of depend on your choices because you know you make the wrong choices and his character becomes really dark mm-hmm. and like kind of depressing actually. And if you make other choices, he can become like your best friend and just be this epic like right hand man. So Garrus just just happens to be my favorite. (laughs) My actions in the third game ended up getting him killed, and I was very sad. Well, good work, Kennedy. Thanks. Thanks for your favorite. I have, like, so many other favorite characters. Um, I think I'm going to go Aloy from Horizon Zero Dawn. Oh, yeah. That's a great character. I love her. She really is. So and she like really and it's is. not just because of the red hair. <laughs> no, no. I mean she's she's a dynamic character, and she that would have been my choice too. I'm going a little bit more controversial direction. <laughs> I was gonna say I think one of my favorite things about her character was, unlike many other franchises, including Mass Effect, there's no romance in that story. They, they there were like moments where guys were like, "Hey, Aloy, you want to go out?" And she was like. I, I don't think that's such a great idea. No, you know, I shoot you. it was always I just dinosaurs like, to kill. You know, um, I have bigger <laughs> problems. I need to go fight some thunder jaws. So you yeah. do you. I'm gonna go save the world. <laughs> you know, yeah. and I was just like, yes, thank you for not like giving her that story. Now I haven't finished playing Forbidden West, so I don't know if that remains true. Yeah, Bob she's a great know. heroic character yeah. all the way through. Yeah, <laughs> uh, mine, as I was saying, is a little bit more controversial. Well, at least. She was controversial when she first came out, 
and that's Laura Croft. Oh. Uh, I, I always loved the Tomb Raider games, to be honest. Yeah. But there were a lot of, a number of people, especially in the early days when the video games, let's face it, they were sort of blocky and everything. But, you know, Laura Croft in her little shorts and her, her pistols on her hip, there were a lot of people going, hmm, I don't know, video games are teaching our children terrible things. But but I, I always liked the character a great deal. She was uh, just, just this great female adventurer, and I even liked the movies. Okay. Well, there you go. So I realized after I, I came up with this question that I don't really have an answer. <laughs> so he's just going to say Do you Mario. want to take another one of mine? No, no. Here's where so I'm going to go. No I, um, no, I realized that all of my favorite video games are before there were characters. So I do have favorite video games, but they're also ancient and pixelated and 8-bit-ish that... There's nothing like the characters you're talking about. Now, having so said yours that, yours is like Wreck It Ralph. No, <laughs> like Wreck Adam's Ralph. actually his favorite character is the left pong player. Right, <laughs> right. No, it was the right one. No, but since you know, I've talked in, in previous podcasts about how much my son and I have played Pokemon Go. I'm going to go with Charizard because sure. he's been my buddy in Pokemon Go for yeah. for a long time, and and. Uh, when my uh, my little guy's out exploring, Charizard kind of stomps around yeah. all around him, and and I'm like, you know, it'd be fun to have a little pet dragon. Wouldn't that be fun? Yeah. Well, I, I mean, I'm who sure wouldn't want are, a pet dragon? I'm sure there are a lot of people who would say Pikachu. I yeah, no, Pikachu's far too so, cute. So. <laughs> yeah, you're a squirrel See, guy. All right, a, but I that's a, a separate podcast. Right? Yeah, that's right. <laughs> yeah, that's right. no rodents. All right, so. Before we get into the specifics of Tears of the Kingdom, let's zoom out and talk about the series as a whole. What's going on in the Zelda games and what's the overarching story here? Yeah, so in essence, uh, the timeline of Legend of Zelda is quite convoluted. And Shocker. it all centers around the game Ocarina of Time. Not the Macarena oh, of Time? No, not That's the Macarena. That's what I want to call it. <laughs> but uh, we're not going to get into that because no, the basic not. premise of the game is that three goddesses came down, created the world, and they also created something called the Triforce. And the Triforce is this special artifact that if you touch it, it gives you whatever wish you desire. Um, as so it's long pretty potent. As, yes. <laughs> as long as you equally embody the three main virtues, which the game says is power, courage, and wisdom. Hmm. If you don't, the Triforce splits off and it only gives you the piece that you most embody. Now... Uh, because it lets you have whatever you'd like, a lot of bad people want to get a hold of it. The power part, probably. Yes, and so a lot of times if they do get a hold of it, they only get the power part, and then the other two pieces go to other random people. Um, so anyways, though, and the So is first... the game about collecting those three parts? Sometimes. Okay. Sometimes <laughs> it's not. <laughs> and we're still in the first game in the series at this point? Yeah, yes. this is this the... is very general, broad concept. Yes, yes. The first canonical game in the timeline is Legend of Zelda Skyward Sword. Okay. And, and in that game, uh, this guy, the Demon King, whose uh, name is Demise, he rises up because he wants to take the Triforce. But uh, Link and Zelda, they stop him, and they prevent him from being able to get it. However, in slaying him right before he dies, he lays a curse upon them saying that he's going to reincarnated all throughout history and they're going to be in this epic struggle as variations of the demon king want to get the triforce and variations of link and zelda want to stop him and that right there is very much what leads into this new game 
Yes, where there are tears. Where there are (laughs) tears of the kingdom. Tears of the kingdom. That very element right there, the whole struggle with the demon king and the variations of of Link and Zelda and what's going on. And shall we talk about that? Yeah, no, it seems like a Uh, great segue. uh, We're going to jump from first to last. That's right. And then we can come back and make maybe a few more generalizations. In this one, there's uh, this strange happening that's going on in the kingdom. Uh, There's this dark gloomy mist that's seeping out from the ground beneath the castle of Hyrule (laughs) and it's making people sick so the game begins with Zelda and her faithful sidekick Link and silent he never talks the going down going Mm -hmm. down into this into these tunnels beneath the castle Hyrule and uh and as they're going down, they're wondering what's going on. And what do they encounter down in the depths but a mummified creature that just happens to be the Demon King. <sighs> and so there that you go. Guy. And so that's, he that just sort of showing up. Opens, opens up the story. And two things happen. One, Zelda is tossed eons back into the past to the founding of Hyrule, which is the kingdom at large. Link, just before Zelda is sent off tumbling into the past, mm-hmm. um, he's almost killed and he loses his arm. Yikes. And then he wakes up and there is this godlike character that actually gives him a new arm. But Oof. but he's still it's still covered in darkness and so he's got to figure out how to get rid of that darkness. The basic story is that Link is going to traverse these broad landscapes. He starts out in these sky islands, he goes down to Hyrule, and he goes around the kingdom, and then he goes down into the depths beneath the castle of Hyrule, and down in these dark, pitch-black areas that's almost as big as Hyrule itself. And he's down there, and and in the course of that, he's visiting shrines, gaining powers, searching for clues about where Zelda is, and then working his way up to the point where he can... Um, battle, face off with this demon king once more, along with Zelda. I don't want to throw Zelda away because there is a storyline that goes on with Zelda in the past. Now, I, I won't say that I'm a Zelda aficionado. But a I, I, yeah, right. I've played Zelda games, but I've never been, you know, a super fan. Yeah. But this one, this one, I'll tell you this much. It is an incredibly well-balanced game. Yeah. It really is. Uh, the, the way that people have created this game, there's nothing too tough, but there's nothing too simple. There are lots of very, very creative powers that Link gains, for example, and it makes the game, even more than the other games that I've played with Zelda, much more creative in my mind. Yeah, mm-hmm. I think that's the thing that I've always heard most about Breath of the Wild and Tears of the Kingdom is that... Uh, you really kind of get to build your own story. You have, like, yeah, your sister is like a super fan. Is uh, that right? My brother-in-law and sister-in-law, uh, they are. They they took and they hired a babysitter. And when I say hired a babysitter, I mean that they they asked his sister, my other sister in law, um, to babysit for them so that they could spend an entire weekend, <laughs> the opening weekend that it came out, so they could go to the store, pick up the game in person, and just play all weekend long. They are definitely what you would call super fans. Well, so. you got to base your marriage on something. Yeah. <laughs> they, they, I mean, really common ground do. is a good thing, right? So that's a great segue because I want to. I want to comment on two things broadly that you guys said. On one hand, if I am a parent and I'm listening to this and I know that I have a child who's interested, right. but I have, I'm not a gamer and I haven't really played this game, 
I would have had lots of little red flags going off when we're talking about mm-hmm. demons and goddesses yeah, yeah. and spiritual stuff. And and then the other thing I'm concerned about, if I'm that parent, is if grown adults are hiring babysitters to play this game, like <laughs> there is this sort of addictive, compulsive oh, yeah. potential. So I want to speak to both of those content concerns separately. What would right. we say to parents who say, I'm concerned about the spiritual worldview and I'm concerned about the stewardship and addiction part of this. Well, the spirituality, it is definitely there. In fact, in this new game, it's everywhere. Okay. I mean, it is presented in a very broad fantasy feel. It doesn't feel dark and demonic at any point. I mean, even when you're facing off with this demon king at the end and he's he's covered with all these swirling flames it doesn't feel like a real demon you know out, out of some nightmare and and so there are parallels that you certainly can draw there in terms of of real spirituality that okay. it's in our world it doesn't feel like it's really dark and demonic okay it's one of those things where especially if parents are playing with kids that they could talk about it. Okay. They could so, talk about what 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 is, what is the difference between what we believe in terms of heaven and hell and 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 what this game is presenting in terms of its heavenly characters and its demonic characters. I love it. I mean, what I hear you saying is there's a lot of spiritual content and there's probably enough there that some families are going to say, yeah, no. Yeah. We're just not going to go there. But other families, they could walk into that with their kids. And I love your suggestion of this feels like a game you could play with a younger player and and you can deal with some of those issues. And let me just pick it up there from talking about the addiction aspect of it and the stewardship there. I think that. Yeah, speak to that. I think that. It's not a co-op game. It's not like you can both sit there with a controller and play side by side. However, like what my brother and sister-in-law have done is that they they will play. And when one of them gets stuck, because we've talked about the creativity aspect, when one of them faces a problem, they're like, huh, I can't quite get past that. You know, they'll hand off the controller so that the other person can play for, you know, the next 20 minutes or whatever. But or since they're sitting there watching (laughs) each other play, you know, they'll be like, why don't you try this? You know, and so there is like, I mean, and these are two grown adults, but I mean, if you're playing with your kid and you're walking through this with them um, to help with some of the spirituality stuff, but also to help with some of the, you know, time constraints, like, hey, we're not going to spend eight hours playing. We're going to spend like one hour, you know. And it, um, and it isn't hard for eight hours to slip by with a oh, game yeah. like this. In fact, I, I started playing this when I was doing it for the review. And the first 10, 15, 20 hours that I was playing was in this high sky island area. And my mind was thinking, oh, it's all going to be up here in this sky island. It turns out you hadn't even started yet. I hadn't even started the game. (laughs) I mean, really, this game can go like 100 hours. If you, if you want to play And that's everything. just if you're following the main storyline yeah. through. Yeah, I mean, and... I, think, I think the average person would probably uh, get through the main storyline in maybe 70, 80 hours. And that's, that's a but, lot of but time. But that's only if you are doing the main quests. Right. Yeah. It's right. like 50 to 80. Right. And, but if you want to do the side quests or if there's just one that like kind of, oh, I want to go do that, and you run all the way across the world and do that, it's going to take a lot longer. Yeah. Um, and that's really what makes it such a long game is that in previous, uh, before essentially before Breath of the Wild, most Zelda games were, 
hey, if you see a cliff, that is the boundary of your world. That's as far as you can explore. But in Breath of the Wild and Tears of the Kingdom, it's now you can climb that cliff. Or dive off that cliff. (laughs) And it's just a lot bigger. So not only is there a lot more to explore and there's a lot more to fill the world with, but it also just takes a lot longer to get to places now. Mm. Okay. Yeah. So, I mean, it sounds like a mixed bag to me. I mean, it sounds like it's... It's got some problems, but it's not the worst of the worst. No. Um, it's something that you could lose yourself in in an unhealthy way. But if you've got those boundaries in place, it yeah. could be something that you could yeah. enjoy doing together. And it's also a game that you can break up into smaller bite-sized chunks. Yeah. Especially if you've got a parent playing with a kid. I've often said that when parents play with their kids, there is that connection, yes. that, that ability to talk about things while you're playing. Yep. And sometimes it Especially can be... Especially boys. Yeah, and sometimes it can be very important things. But a parent can also just go along for the ride and say, okay, I tell you what, this looks like a good stopping point. Let's let's pick it up later. Yeah. Which, I mean, in, in a way, it's kind of like Minecraft in that. Yeah. Where mm-hmm. Minecraft, yeah. likewise, is an open world game that is super addictive that you can just lose hours and hours and playing and then you look up and it's oh i need to go to bed (laughs) well and i think that the challenge here ultimately sort of rolls back to parents right yeah like if you just turn your kid loose and you're not supervising and you don't have some boundaries in place and they're a gamer you can probably expect they're going to be on that game as much as you let them right yeah like the whole weekend like the whole weekend. i mean that is i mean seriously though because you know as adults we you know, you'll set an alarm or you'll have an event and you're like, oh, well, I got to, you know, you got to go to bed. As you got to go adult. As an adult, you can <laughs> regulate that. As a kid, I mean, yeah, as long as your parents are going to let you sit there playing that game, you're not going to stop because the next, because then you have to go to school and stuff. Who wants to do that? Who wants? <laughs> well, of course, it's the Wait, summertime I now, wish so. that you wouldn't talk about my son. He's not here to defend himself. <laughs> <laughs> So, I mean, I think that the reality is it's not easy, right? Mm-hmm. And, and if you have a, the gaming system, if you have a Nintendo Switch uh, and you choose to have this one, know that these are some of the yeah. things you're going to have to deal with. And like so many things with entertainment, there are going to be families that do say, we're not going to go there at all. There are going to be others that I think navigated in a wise way. And then there yeah. are going to be, you know, some families that it's just wide open and there's no boundaries and there may be some really unhealthy things there. And what we want to do at plugged in is give you the information you need to make the best choice for your family. And we want to encourage you to be engaged and intentional and really setting those boundaries so that maybe there's an opportunity to, to share an experience together that could be really bonding, but it doesn't move off into those, you know, those unhealthy places. All right. Well, thanks guys. You bet. Well, now it's time for a part of our show we call Name That Movie, which is, well, you guessed it, you're going to name that movie. A movie, yeah. Ooh. So we're uh, each going to give sort of a log line, a sentence or two, describing a movie, and the rest of you have to guess it. And this week, we're going to go either superhero or video game themed. Mm. And I'm going to go sort of minimal abstract expressionist with mine this week. <laughs> I'm going oh, to go boy. first. You're just going to have... Four, maybe five words, but I think you'll get it. Okay. Spikes. Electricity. Blue. 
Sonic the Hedgehog. There you go. <laughs> there you go. I thought you guys blue, were going to disappoint blue, yeah, yeah, me. Yeah, I didn't yeah, have yeah. to get to Jim Carrey. So. That's right. <laughs> I'm going to be honest. I don't know if I would have gotten that one. <laughs> well, I was confident that at least one of you would get Sonic. I was kind of waiting Sonic. for rings. but um, or, yeah, or, t- or tails. Right, tails. All right, Bob, you want to go next? Oh, sure, sure. Since I'm looking at you. My, mine's a little bit more obscure. Okay. A dad searches for his adopted daughter in a mysterious, quiet... New England town. The Last of Us. Sounds nope. like Silent Hill. That's yes, it is Silent Hill. <laughs> but very Kennedy good. That was that was close. Two. That's right. Two. Having not played that game or seen the TV show, Silent you know? Hill, <laughs> or either it's one of those. It's about a really yeah. quiet <laughs> hill where bad mm. things happen. Well, I, I, that's why I said quiet in there just to give you that <laughs> Silent Hill. But you got it. Yeah, uh, yeah. I I will give mine next. Um, and then you'll have to guess your own because because you're getting uh, all right. Well, I feel like mine's a little more straightforward. A boy must deal with the difficulties of a superpowered school when he doesn't have a stronghold on his powers. Sky high. Yes. All right. Sky. I didn't know that was a video wow. game. Wow. Yeah, well, uh, that's that's, that's see, literally I thought of Sky High, but I was like, well, that was that was, was the so same thing that happened to me. I was thinking thing. video game, video game, video game. Wait, <laughs> wait, I know it. Superhero. <laughs> oh, I forgot. Superhero was part of it. Okay. All right, Emily. All right, a blue collar workers. Uh, Super Mario Bros. Let me. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, wow. video games, blue collar, it's got to be a plumber. Oh, man. You are incredible. We, he we was should on just, it today. He's, he's kicking it. He I, I may have played this. a few too many games growing well, up. <laughs> we're not going to cast judgment here. Well, thanks again for taking some time to join us today. I hope you were able to laugh with us, learn with us, and hopefully take something away from our conversation that connects with you and your family. What do you think of the Spider-Verse movies or the Zelda franchise? Are you a fan? Do you have concerns? How have you helped your kids navigate these two influential franchises? We would love to hear from you. And you can always find us on Facebook or Instagram or shoot us an email at team at thepluggedinshow.com. And we've got two other ways that you can connect with us now as well. If you go to thepluggedinshow.com, you can leave us, wait for it, a voicemail. You'll see a little black strip on the right-hand side of your screen, and you can click on that, and you can leave us a voicemail. It'll ask you some questions, and if you do that, and we like what you have to say, we may use your voice clip on the show. So we are still waiting for our first one of those. Um, Maybe leave us one this week, and and we'll see if we can work that into a future show. Do it, do it, do it. And each Monday at 3 p.m. Mountain Time, we are live on Instagram for the Plugged In Show Aftercast. Each week, we're going to recap stuff related to the last show, give you a preview of the new show that's coming out that week, and talk about what happened at the box office the previous weekend. Be sure to follow us on Instagram and turn on notifications so that you'll get a reminder when we go live at 3 p.m. Mountain Time on Instagram each week, and, and that's at Plugged In Team on Instagram. Well, thanks again for spending some time with us at the Plugged In Show this week. We know that you have a lot competing for your attention and lots of ways you could spend your discretionary time. We are glad that you have chosen to spend it with us. We hope that we can be friends, that we are encouraging you, that we're giving you 
just some information and some ideas and some some ways to think about how to interact with this crazy world of pop culture and technology that we are all navigating as a family. And we look forward to joining you again next week for another episode of The Plugged In Show. As a parent, it's easy to find myself sitting backseat to my kids in the backseat. It's tough to be a step ahead. In full honesty, I'm pretty hard on myself when that happens. But I've found Practice Makes Parent, a podcast from Focus on the Family, hosted by Dr. Danny Huerta and Rebecca St. James. It helps me be more intentional and not feel alone when things get tough. Everything they share is practical and well-practiced, and I can use it right away. Listen to Practice Makes Parent wherever you get your podcasts.